Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, you might recall a few months ago, The Guardian launched its first Australian-produced brand campaign and ploughed its entire budget into one media partner after a competitive process that landed with JC Decoe. The really interesting bit with this campaign is what and why The Guardian went the way it did. As ESG, or environmental and social governance, becomes increasingly important for brand owners and therefore the media supply chain, The Guardian wanted to do two things wanted an emissions-neutral media partner and the ability to tap a real-time digital screen network where The Guardian's editors could choose, change and distribute its daily headlines and messages at will and in real time to the masses, or commuters in this case, in order to drive awareness and ultimately grow audiences to its editions. So, how has it gone? We're about to find out. On the mics today is The Guardian's Director of Growth, Jocelyn Abbey, and JC Deco's CMO, Essie Wake. Welcome to you both. This one, I think, is really interesting. We've done a little bit of this uh, at the launch time with MI3. Jocelyn, to you first. Give us sort of some quick context on the strategy behind The Guardian's first brand effort, and we'll get to the rest, the ESG, and some really interesting things that uh, was in your brief. But welcome, Jocelyn. And why now, and uh, what are you doing? Thanks, Paul. Uh, it's great to be chatting to you today. So why now? It's our 10th birthday next year. It's a really exciting milestone for The Guardian. It's also a really good opportunity for us to look forward and what do we want to achieve in the next 10 years. We're operating in one of the most concentrated media markets um, on earth. So in digital news alone, just four companies account for about 75% of the market. That represents a big opportunity for us to find audiences who are looking for more progressive, independent um, and trusted journalism because it is an unmet need in this market. Our awareness sits at around 45%, but we have about 35% of Australians who visit us each month, either via our site or our app. That's a high conversion from those who are aware to those who have us in their consideration set. So drilling down on the opportunity, we really need to build awareness. Oh, and that, that's in part because we haven't had the luxury of a, a print edition landing on someone's doorstep day in, day out to build that brand and habit over the years. So for us to drive growth, we need to not only reach people who, who wouldn't come across us in their day-to-day, but to encourage them and engage them enough so that they come to us when they're seeking out news and information. When we started, we asked ourselves, how do we raise awareness amongst the target audience, driving emotional connections and heroing what makes us unique, which is the journalism itself? So we developed a two-pronged strategy. The first we developed with um, Houtson & Co, a really strong brand platform, celebrating the clear proposition in the market as a progressive, independent and trusted news source. This was designed to build brand awareness and really um, hook in people um, to inspire an emotional connection with Guardian Australia. The second was really about heroing the journalism itself, distributing our news bulletins directly from the newsroom to commuters around the country via out of home and the cross-track network. And that was really designed to help build consideration and build a habit um, because people were seeing these headlines day in, day out. 
In approaching the media strategy, we took the well-worn Binet and Field School of Thought and designed a media plan with core brand building channels of outdoor, TV and cinema, compounded with digital, um, which really served to look at that direct response um, reaction. Our channel strategy of outdoor um, was really brought to life through the concept developed by media strategist Justin Gibbons. Um, he wrote a book a few years ago called P squared plus C equals five, which talked about the concept of how high impact public screens like outdoor could compound impact when it was coupled with some sort of action on your private screen like your mobile. So the critical part of bridging that, that gap was was really about bringing the creative to life. So for us, treating outdoor like it was an extension of our product or our website or app um, on the private screen, and, and we did that through using distinctive language, um, really strong layouts and um, clear brand codes. We also had a really clear call to action that acted as a, a behavioural prompt and it was served at a time when people had higher mental availability because on their commute, um, people, people were looking at, at, you know, winding down after a long day at work. It was really intended to stir up the curiosity of what's happened in the news today or what have I missed in the news today and ideally resulted in someone coming to the site or visiting the app. So that was the strategy in a nutshell um, and we're seeing some good results so we can, uh, we can get into that a bit later. So, Justin, just on that, sorry, you were talking here about trains, buses, planes. Is that what we're talking about in terms of this, the, the commute? That's correct. It's, it's really targeting the trains, roads, roadside, pedestrian areas. It was really looking at how we could reach people when they were going from, from work to home or home to work or work to school and when they had the most mental availability. So this this strategy for the headlines was to, to take the top three headlines, morning, noon and afternoon, and actually package them up and deliver them to people via these screens so that they didn't need to come to us as a destination. We could come to them in and amongst their daily lives. So, Jocelyn, this is the point, though. You're doing a brand campaign. You're building off the marketing sciences for The Guardian. It's the first local brand campaign you've done. When you were starting to work through the strategy on this, how did you and why did you come to this notion that you wanted? Did you know that you, were going to, you wanted commuters? Did you know what, what channel you wanted when, when you started out on this? In terms of um, commuter experience, absolutely. We knew that we wanted to target people when they had the highest mental availability. And that for us was um, in and amongst the commute. You've also got things like high dwell time that you're playing with, which allows people the time to actually take in the, the headlines um, and actually engage with the, the journalism that's presented to them. So we, we did specifically set out to target the commute. We also did a lot of research into the target audience, really trying to understand the behaviours and, and the modes of, of, of transport almost that they were most likely taking. Um, and it came up time and time again that the audience we were targeting were using trains, buses and roads, unsurprisingly, to get to their destination. I'm assuming when you say that high mental availability was in the commute, well, that's because it was transitioning between most likely a work environment to the home environment. And in somewhere in between there, we are mentally more open to stuff. Is that we, what you're suggesting with your strategy here? 
Yeah, look, the insight was that when you're in in sort of travel to work mode, um, you've got a higher mental availability to understand what's happening in the world around you. So um, specifically going to work, it's give me the news that I need in a condensed or, or an easily digested delivery mechanism. Um, and same again then at the end of the day. It's give me, what did I miss out throughout the day when I was at work, busy in my 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 day-to-day and help me to understand what I've missed and, and what's happening in the world around me. Got it. And so talk through the market, briefing to the market on this, Jocelyn, because um, you obviously had, you'd worked out your strategy here. You wanted one core media partner to do this heavy lifting in and around the commute. Uh, so what was your brief to market? Tell us about that. Look, it was a really unique brief in that we wanted a distribution partner that would allow us to retain editorial independence. So we didn't want to be able to push out content um, or journalism that would then be edited or formatted in some way. So for us, basically briefing on creating the pipes um, for a distribution channel was a really critical part of the brief. In terms of the the targeting around the audience, obviously for us, we were looking at commuters and how we could reach um, audiences during their commute um, in destinations that had a high dwell time. So Crosstrack obviously met that brief really well. We were also looking at the ability to distribute in real time. So we needed um, quite an immediate functionality that would obviously need to be built or, or innovated on but would allow the newsroom direct control over what went out on those panels at any given time throughout the day. So you, you ceded control of the journos, Jocelyn. <laughs> oh, look, it, it, I think it, it was very important in The Guardian's case, obviously, you know, being very committed to independent independence and, and having the ability to tell that story directly to an audience. So, yes, absolutely and heartily I <laughs> ceded control. Well, it's a brave person uh, on the commercial side to do such crazy things. Uh, as a journo, I can say that, right? So, <laughs> so what happened? You put the brief out. Did you know... How broad did it go and who came back, which companies came back to engage you? Look, I think two other key points there is the idea of going down the the path with one partner was that we could get scale. We needed that scale. We needed to be able to look at what wasn't always on brief. Um, We wanted to be able to have this in market for a long time um, and we needed to be able to have as many markets in order to drive the growth that we were hoping for through this this process. I think the other part was really we wanted an organisation that was on the same sustainability journey that we've been on. So we needed a partner that would match us or would be able to be in the same or have the same approach to sustainability that we as The Guardian have globally. So this is a core part of your brief then was both, you know, the ability to reach and do the dynamic sort of feeds that you talk about, but also it's the alignment to net zero or environmental social governance. That were the two key parts of your decision on who you went with? That's correct, yes. So who came back? So look, it was um, two of the big big partners. I, I'm not going to name names, but you can probably guess who, who they were. Both parties did such a fantastic job of responding, but it did come down to those incredibly important factors for us, editorial independence and control, being able to publish in real time um, and allow us to really 
communicate to an audience at a time that we needed to. So the JC Deco brief absolutely meant that, met that. Um, and because of that, we were happy to move forward. Did you know how many people you wanted to reach and how long did you want this to run for? The ideal scenario for us was that it would run for a full 12 months. Right. So the brief was a 12-month brief, always on. Always on. There you go. Right. So every day, uh, communities are seeing the Guardian headlines coming through the out-of-home screens on, on Deco. That is absolutely correct. So it launched in September um, and we've got a, a media brief that, that runs for at least nine months and obviously looking to the future there. So it's it's always on every single day of the week, allows us to turn around really topical campaigns such as football. Everyone's got a bit of football fever at the moment um, and that's something that we can really adapt uh, creative and and push out a campaign that allows us to to hero the fact that we've got global leading football coverage. So it's um, very much an always on, looking at both delivering our content, our journalism straight to the masses, but equally allowing us to to really adapt um, and be very topical when it comes to promoting our brand. Essie, can I ask you, so what um, The Guardian did in terms of coming to market with a dual brief of both looking for some different ways to use the screens in real time, but also the environmental credentials. Um, have you seen many briefs like this before? Or is, it, is this the start of what we you will expect to see more, more of? Look, more and increasingly, this is becoming a big topic where what we're seeing is Jason Deco's obviously introduced, and I'll, I'll, you know, I can talk about the detail, but we've introduced, you know, some really significant step changes, I guess, in the last 12 months, things like carbon neutral advertising products, which is a real industry first. And because we're opening the door and and inviting advertisers and and agencies to have that conversation and understand that that's a possibility, I think we're we're really seeing a shift and people gravitating to that actually being included in the brief. That is, it's very quickly becoming an expectation and people people want to understand what we're doing in that space. And, And with got a lot more to do and we, we you know we've got some really ambitious goals so yes it's getting a lot of attention and rightly so I think hmm. Jocelyn it's interesting isn't it that deco seems like it's getting some wins because of its uh, its environmental credentials and what it's trying to do and in, in offsets and net zero uh, that's very very much the guardian's position and you are getting some wins yourself for other brands that want to come onto your platform to promote themselves as well uh, so you're you're seeing a bit of a win there as well aren't you Yes, look, that's correct. I think um, The Guardian has has really, I mean, we've committed to eliminating two-thirds of our greenhouse ga- gas emissions completely um, between, you know, what was the, the first part of this promise made in 2020 by 2030. So it's just an incredible commitment. We're obviously working with the Science-Based Targets Initiative and you know, for us, we've got a lot of factors like we don't accept ad money from fossil fuels extractors. We are a certified B Corp. Um, And really, we were the first to transform our editorial guidelines to really highlight how much of a crisis that we're we're dealing with in terms of the climate with global heating and, and the climate emergency. So for us, we have real credentials in this space, but more so we're, we're looking to work with partners that are on the same journey that we are. And that does in turn attract fabulous um, brands that want to work with us to help um, reinforce and build their own brand messages. Does it limit your supply chain partners though with that sort of position? 
Absolutely. I won't, <laughs> my managing director would not be upset, Dan Stinton, for me saying this, but we have had to turn away millions of dollars because of that. And that's part of what makes The Guardian unique. It's part of what makes it a really safe brand space. Um, and it's part of what, what helps to contribute to a sense of having a premium environment and a premium audience that, that we can target because our audiences trust us to deliver on that front. Mm. Issy, so so when the brief came in and you won it, so when the brief came in, why did you think and, and what did you think uh, we can do this and this is how it's going to look? And talk us to, through when you saw the Guardian brief, what you were, how you responded to that. Yeah, I think, I mean, look, I, I guess, great question. It's There was obviously a lot of layers to the brief. So, you know, there was definitely, I guess, the piece around building awareness um, at the top of the funnel. So, you know, and we're seeing this increasingly. We're seeing advertisers, pure play marketers in, you know, who are managing online brands, recognising the power of out of home to grow brands and drive that credibility that comes from existing in the real world. So it was absolute music to my ears to hear Jocelyn talking about P squared plus C equals five because it's it's something that we're really passionate about. And, and you know, if you think about it, most ad content consumption is a series of moments on private screens. And and we're seeing plenty of briefs now starting to shift and asking us to help build that bridge between public and private worlds. So so that was kind of something that really spoke to Jay Sudico. And obviously the the alignment in our brands and our values um, and our ESG commitments was was also something that we had a very strong position on and we were able to, you know, identify the synergy between the brands. And, you know, I congratulate The Guardian. They're they're really um, they're really pushing ahead and um, doing amazing things. So, you know, definitely an inspiration for us and and a great partnership. So there's alignment, tick alignment on ESG, but you still had to have the tech smarts and the screen network that they wanted to actually do what they needed to do, right? Exactly. There was that sort of third really critical goal, and that was, you know, to to go beyond the top of the funnel metrics, which are really critical. Um, and that, that was about sort of, I guess, where we saw what was really quite something quite unique in this brief was the idea that our network could actually become another distribution channel for the Guardian editorial team. And that's, you know, that's quite extraordinary. It's really exciting. You know, effectively, we were being challenged to provide, open up our network to allow the Guardian to serve, you know, rich video dynamic activation right down to the pointy end of the funnel. So, you know, their intention with this is is to drive consumers to interact, to, you know, entice them to go online and access the site in real time as those stories are breaking. And, you know, to do that independently, no moderation at our end. So, you know, to answer, I I guess, you know, that, that was a significant, shift of our thinking a big a big tech challenge absolutely you know we had to we had to kind of work through the governance of that it was unusual for you not to have any control over the content that was coming through the pipes is that what you're saying to the screens yeah look it's it is really quite new territory for us and i think ceding our kind of control to to the journalist you know there is an alignment obviously and a trust and an inherent credibility in the Guardian content that that meant we could actually open it up. So it's not probably something that we would do as a stock standard solution. Um, it was it was about, you know, I, I really trusted deep partnership here. So yes, we we built new capabilities in our digital ad serving 
um, tech and um, it's working really well. But I think, you know, we, we set out very, very early on to be leaders in the digital data and technology integration space. So when you've got a client like The Guardian that, that comes on board and sort of says, right, we're going to push you, that's an incredible honour, you know, because we can only evolve as fast as our clients will allow us. So we need to, to work with really determined organisations like The Guardian who have a vision and want to push the boundaries and that leads us to break new ground. So, you know, we were actually really grateful for the opportunity. We There were obstacles. We had to test, we had to learn, we had to go back, we had to test, we had to learn again. And The Guardian, you know, pushed us until we got it right. And, and that's now, I guess, a new benchmark in our suite of dynamic campaign delivery capabilities globally for JC to Co. It's an important point, Essie, to say when you test and learn and you found some challenges and you, you fixed them. So what was the test and learn that you, what was new to this that you had to get right? I guess there's, and look, I'm not the technical person. So, you know, I, I, you know I'm sort of talking about building pipes and it's a lot more technical and there's people who are a lot smarter in our business. So we're, we're essentially receiving, you know, API data feed that's been moderated and set by the Guardian and it's immediately being templated and going straight onto our um, assets. So it's happening in real time. There's no human intervention at JCDeco. Anyone sort of sitting there going, "Yes, okay, we're going to we're going to play this or not," and I'm going to schedule this for half an hour to go live. It it happens absolutely seamlessly. So that you know that that just pushes the limits of the tech. You know, we we knew we had the capabilities. We just had to kind of work through the risks, or not the risks actually. There's just the you know pitfalls and and get it right. So. It was pretty exciting for the team to to crack it, actually, I think. So, Jocelyn, from your perspective, um, how did you want to use the JC Deco network? You got there and and what were some of the – how did you go on your side, both from the commercial team but also the editorial team going, we want messages out, we want headlines out at, what, I don't know, five in the morning, seven in the morning, whatever it is. Talk us through your side of this uh, as as you both worked out how to make this thing sing. Look, I think there were there were really kind of two parts to this because um, the editorial uh, involvement was huge. It was so big. Um, it really required a redesign of workflows. So we we had to hire new uh, producers, um, subs, editors. We had to create what was essentially an entirely new workflow given this was now a new distribution channel for us. It meant that three times a day there was you know, journalism that had to be succinctly condensed into a, a headline that would fit on an outdoor billboard, not just one headline, but three, but three times a day. And that in itself requires a huge amount of time um, of production and then of, of just getting the uh, sign off from the news desk. Um, so it's, it's a big, big process internally that really needed to be designed. Coupled with that really from our end was we had to create the process of physically getting the headlines from the newsroom out to JC Deco and onto their networks. So the, the tech itself required a huge amount of capability building, um, both teaching ourselves how to use the tech, but also creating the, the actual pipes um, that allowed us to 
have that real-time distribution. So it was a, a really joined-up effort. We worked with a production company who designed our templates so that the templates remain static and consistent across the different formats. And they also helped to design the process itself. So a big shout out to Broken Yellow, who did just such an incredible job um, on helping helping to get this um, out to the masses. In terms of some of the other commercial um, factors, we actually had to to work with landowners because there was, um, and this was on the, the JC Deco side, but obviously there were some restrictions in terms of the OMA and so how did your editors go with, with this, Jocelyn? Were they, were they embracing it and keen? Look, I, I think we owe many, many bottles of wine to our editors. Um, if they don't drink, something else. Kale juice. <laughs> they, um, they really bent over backwards to make this possible. Um, and without them embracing this and having patience with both our, our processes that needed to be built from scratch, as well as the JC Deco processes, this wouldn't have happened. So I um, can't thank the entire journalism team, editorial team enough because it, it wouldn't have been possible without them. Yeah, we're reasonable people, just saying that. Interestingly, though, um, so when did the first message start? Did you have time, to, days of time, day parts, I should say, where first message comes in, second, there's three messages a day, three headlines a day. Did I get that right? There's actually um, up to what is nine because we have three at 7 a.m. Oh, wow. Uh, that's rotating. So we have uh, rotating three headlines um, across our outdoor network, which runs in Sydney and Perth, and on Crosstrack in uh, Adelaide, Victoria and Brisbane. First bulletin happens at 7 a.m., the second at about 12, and then the third at 4 p.m. So three times a day. Those headlines are updated dynamically from our newsrooms and pushed out across the network, reaching about 5.2 million people um, every month. So it's a really impressive extension of what is the the sort of the fronts of our our news site. And so uh, you said 5.2 million people was the reach every month. So the the grand may not like drum roll. What I'm busting to ask is, I think you said you've been in market now a couple of months, right? So is it working? Is Deco doing it for you? So what happened? Talk us through launch campaign because it was brand and these because this is the tactical uh, execution of the brand campaign. Is this is this screen stuff with the headlines, right? That's more the call to action, if you like. Look, it is. I really go back to how we we sort of set this up, which is brand helps to um, create that emotional affinity, um, and the headlines are really the the proof point, if you like. It's it's the the thing that will help to aid consideration and ensure that our brand is in the mix when people are seeking news content. So. For us, um, absolutely, it's working. We've seen growth in awareness amongst our target demographic, which is up about 12% versus the pre-campaign um, monthly average. It's excellent. We're really happy with that as a start point. Um, we've had clear growth in consideration as well, again, amongst the, the target. It's up about 8% um, versus the, the pre-campaign um, monthly average. And again, I think consideration is the harder, almost the harder nut to crack in that it's a real change in behaviour. So for us, that's that's where we will continue to want to see a change. 
We um, also ran an on-site survey um, earlier in, um, we actually ran it in September, and about 57% of the respondents said that the advertising or the, the campaign made them feel more positive towards The Guardian, and about 31% said that the advertising reminded them to search The Guardian next time they wanted to read the news. So again, that direct action. I think the, the most exciting early indicator for us is that about 15% of people said that they'd taken an action on the back of seeing this campaign. And look, it's it's difficult to actually correlate this alone, given we're so at the mercy of an, a news cycle, but it's positive indicators that we're seeing people take action on the back of seeing this campaign. So the intent here, ultimately, Jocelyn, is for The Guardian to grow its monthly or daily audience, right? That's where you're your intent here is to build some brand awareness, but ultimately see your audience rise. Now, we are coming off, um, we have come off, you know, a huge cycle for news media during COVID. Everyone's sort of come back a bit. But at what point will you go, we need six months, three months to go, okay, our average monthly audience is up X percent. What are your KPIs and what are you judging on ultimately the, the mid to long term effect of this campaign? Look, um, I think it's a really good question. We um, are, unfortunately, this this campaign is timed in the the fabulous switch between what was Nielsen and and what is going to be Ipsos. So Yes, you have no data, right. (laughs) So we are at the mercy of a really sort of challenging interim period. So to answer that question really directly, I think we need at least 12 months um, in order to see really tangible traffic um, results. And and that will be coupled with a number of other factors. As I said, news cycle really influences this. But for us to try and influence consideration means that the Guardian is in the consideration set when people are seeking out this con- you know type of content, so news, journalism, etc., so that is ultimately one of the big marks of success with this. Coupled with the growth in, in traffic, we also want to grow our supporter base. We're obviously looking at how we we ensure that we're building a really robust supporter community. And for us, it's the way we say sustainably um, secure into the future. So that is a, a big priority. Having said that, because this is targeted so much at the top of the funnel, it's really about affecting those top line audience and behavioural attitudinal metrics that we're, we're looking at here. And so ultimately, a year out, this is always on campaign. So you give yourself plenty of time to see what becomes. Do you think people are, are seeing headlines and going, mm, I need to check that story out. I'm going to The Guardian now. Because you you should be able to track, you know, here's me, Mr. Sophisticated, by the way, but there's the opportunity to track um, when the campaign is on the screens, on the deco screens, and what you're seeing with traffic coming in to your website. Uh, do I sound really smart by asking that question, by the way? <laughs> It's a great question. What we've been able to correlate is um, growth in new browsers. Um, New browsers is a way for us to understand those who hadn't necessarily come in the last 12 months. And being able to look at, at that as a metric over time will be really important. We can look at our location data and and try and correlate where headlines were and, and specific articles. Um, and we're working on building out that functionality at the moment. But at the moment, we are we are very, very happy to see that the early indicators that we'd set have 
inevitably um, been uh, surpassed, but there's still a long way to go. So consideration, to be clear, you said consideration was up, I think, 8%. Is that 8% or 8 percentage points? It's 8%. Okay. Yeah. So a couple. Of, it's got a couple of percentage points, which is great. Yeah. Well, hard to move the needle on all that. So, um, and, and early in the campaign, that's interesting. I see, um, so your observations uh, on this one, uh, you know, from the network side, from the media side, you know, it's an early trial and all this stuff. What are your early observations and learning about learnings from what you've done here with The Guardian? Look, we're, we're loving seeing the content across the network. I think, you know, it's it's the company that we keep, isn't it? And and it's a really sort of credible value add, I think, for, for our audiences. You know, it's, it's encouraging engagement, attention. They're looking for longer. They're engaged. And I think what we're going to see over time as this, this campaign builds and the frequency builds that, that people will come to expect when they arrive at the at their platform, you know, their habitual kind of commute, and they'll start to sort of look to understand what, what the Guardian's telling them right now. So I think it'll sort of build over time, which is which is going to be a really exciting thing to observe. We're working with Jocelyn and her team to to actually invest in some research funded by JC Co to, to really understand how people are interacting how their perception's shifting, so making sure that they are actually people that have been exposed to their campaign and, and what their views are on that. So I think it's an evolving story and, and one that, you know, we, we're going to kind of continue to, to learn more and, and get new data points. There's another kind of nice thing that I can tell you as well. We're not the only ones who have noticed the campaign and, and thought it was, you know, proud of it. Literally <laughs> this week, we've got hot off the press news that the campaign has actually been awarded the best use of digital winner for the OMA Quarter 3 Creative Collections Awards, which is, you know, a hotly contested award that, that happens, you know, four times a year. Um, so there was a fantastic quote in the OMA press release from the judging panel that said, and I just, I just think it just kind of captures the essence of the campaign so nicely, the Guardian campaign echoed back to the days of old where you saw a daily headline on a newsagent poster this simple, tried-and-true idea was used to transform digital out-of-home panels into modern-day headline breakers, um, and it functions as an extension of the online world and gives passers-by credible news notifications in real time. So, you know, they've awarded it not, not just for the actual kind of creative, the power of the creative to cut through and to really, you know, the simplicity of the, of the art is really key, and it's, you know, they've, they've done beautiful work in the, in the templating of these messages, but it's also actually the innovation behind it and the, the, the clear kind of vision behind it. And I think it's a fantastic recognition for Jocelyn and the editorial team. You know, I think there's another observation that I have, which is people at JC Deco, um, and it's something I touched on earlier, that, you know, when we are pushed by a partner to deliver on innovation and, and really kind of bring to life campaigns that push us and set new boundaries for the industry, then there's, of course, the power of that experience for our people. You know, internally, there's, there's just pride and, and, you know, engagement with the work that they're delivering. And, you know, that speaks volumes. So we're very proud of this partnership and um, we hope that it continues. I agree. And it's a very interesting program, this one. So look, before we wind this up, I, I think, you know, both companies are from what I can see in the market, at the front end of ESG and carbon neutral, the, the reduction, everything we see about ESG and carbon emissions. Can we just get a little bit from both of you, a quick overview of the intent around this? And of course, it's such a big discussion now. We're seeing media agencies and buyers 
pushing through the media supply chain and wanting sort of more net zero strategies coming from media owners. So maybe from the Guardian first, because the Guardian, you know, is buying and selling in this instance. So Jocelyn, where does it all sit with you? You you said you're a B Corp and you're philosophically aligned to this. You're seeing business come in because of it as well, I assume. That's correct. Yes, we um, we've been aligning with other like-minded brands that have similar, they're on similar journeys. I think, you know, it's an important commitment that we've made and there's not many organisations that have made this globally, but to to really see such a big reduction of, of emissions for 2030 is just a, a really important milestone. And what it's done is it's allowed us to, uh, as I said, attract like-minded brands, like-minded um, organisations who see the value in both having their brand show up in premium environments, but who understand the the power in numbers dynamic. And hopefully there's more influence that we can wield as a, as a group working together to uh, influence others to come on a similar journey. It's a little bit of a competitive advantage at the moment for The Guardian, having, having that sort of position in market. Definitely. It's a point of difference and a competitive advantage, but it also speaks to our inherent values. So it's it's just a big part of The Guardian's legacy and it's it's been something that The Guardian has led on for a long time now. It's not something that was decided last year and has been actioned. So this is a, a really core part of the, the Guardian brand uh, mission. Jocelyn, can you talk to some of the brands that have come on uh, either partly or wholly as a, for that reason? Look, I think um, one of the, the most recent brands we're working with is Patagonia, um, and for obvious reasons, um, very aligned with the Patagonia. Well, they're the rock stars of everything, aren't they, of ESG? They are. They are. They're, they're leading the way. But it's it's an important partnership for us because of the like-minded um, uh, alignment, brand alignment. But again, it means that we can create a space where not only are we reaching um, audiences that are interested and value this type of approach, but we're able to create a really brand safe environment for brands that that want to be seen and and highlighted in that way to their target audience. Essie, can I ask you, I mean, Deco's been on this mission globally. And so just outline very quickly what the ESG position and and net zero strategy is there for, for Deco. It's a really big topic and it's definitely something we would love to kind of come back and, and unpack in detail with you, Paul. It's for us, you know, a little bit like The Guardian, we've been on a long journey. So this is this is really kind of integral to who we are as an organisation. In Australia, we achieved carbon neutral organisation status um, back in 2015 and we've obviously introduced carbon offset um, advertising products, which is really, you know, an industry first um, across all of our um classic assets. And that's not opt-in for advertisers, that's just standard. So that's just, you know, you, you buy into it, our network, that's what you get. But globally, JCDCO has just released its 2030 ESG strategy, which is really outlining clear, ambitious targets that are aligned with the UN Sustainable Development Goals to ensure, you know, we're really kind of pushing ahead and hopefully leading the industry in this space, locally, but also globally. And this 
I guess broadly, there's three pillars in that strategy. So the first is delivering more sustainable living spaces. So that kind of encompasses development and deploying of eco-design to improve, you know, we're building infrastructure in cities. So we, we want to be improving our social and environmental contribution to communities. The second area is really about furthering that journey that we're already very much committed to, which is reducing our environmental footprint. So that's things like 100% renewable energy, which we've achieved. It's and we're on task to um, on track rather to achieve that globally as well, as well as sustainable lighting solutions. In Australia, we support indigenous carbon offset projects. So you know, making making sure that we're actually investing in meaningful initiatives. It's about responsible waste management programs. You know, all all sorts of different things. It's 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 quite a vast topic. And then the third pillar is actually about being a responsible business environment. So, you know, when we look internally, that's about putting the people at the heart of our organisation. So, you know, promoting exemplary health and safety culture, upholding social values, fostering diversity, inclusion. We've got a RAP committee. We've got a diversity and inclusion committee. We're supporting employee growth and development through individualised plans across the business. We're committed to leadership growth, uh, you know, and we're always, always raising the bar when it comes to adapting or adopting more ethical business practices and really, I guess, setting those expectations for our suppliers as well and the partners that we, that we work with. So, you know, there's a lot to it. There is. There's a full suite there, and I feel completely yeah. inadequate at MI3 now. Thanks for that. <laughs> well, it I've makes me proud to, to work do. at JC Decaux, definitely, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hey, so listen, we're, so I want to get um, some key uh, takeouts, watchouts for the next year on all those themes we just talked about and whether there's a couple of key points from each of you. So, Essie, maybe continue on your trajectory there. Next 12 months, you've done a really interesting work, some work with uh, The Guardian here. More to come on that. And what happens next? I think what you're going to see from us is us kind of really starting to close that attribution loop. So really, when it comes to working with, you know, bottom of the funnel campaigns, how do we actually prove that people did, you know, were were prompted to go online? How do we actually, uh, you know, show store visitation and FMCG purchases and all that sort of thing? So we're getting our, our ducks in a row with a number of different data innovations, and we're really going to make a move on that space. Jocelyn, next 12 months, watch outs, take outs, because it's going to be a little bit volatile. The talk is it's going to be a little bit volatile in the next 12 months, right? So, but what do you see happening? Look, I, I would echo that theme. One of the big focus areas for us has been um, how do we attribute any increases at the top of the funnel um, through mid, mid-level engagement and then into um, building our supporter base. So for us, looking at having this, this important part of our strategy working completely in unison with um, ways we can drive engagement, so increased engagement, um, and then increased conversion into the supporter community is going to be critical. We're, we're actually looking at, at piloting some uh, programs around that now for our own own platforms, so it's. Uh, I think for us that is that is the the holy grail. If we can get this working in a, a really optimized, full funnel way, it will be the the bee's knees. It's been a while since you've probably heard that that statement, hasn't it? Bee's knees. I'm old enough to remember it, and I use it myself. So you're <laughs> safe, Jocelyn. I'm not saying not saying that you're old, of course, but the attribution thing is really interesting. And that for you know, if you can crack that. 
that starts to get put some visibility on who and what contributes to you know results, right? So that's why it's important. That sounds like a, a good challenge. We'll, we'll be back in a year's time to tell you more, Paul. Okay. Well, <laughs> thanks for the tease, SE Wake, Jocelyn Abbey. Great conversation. Look forward to the like what happens in you know the next six months with this campaign as it builds. So. Uh, thanks for joining. Stay safe. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. Bye-bye. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.